This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger, and today I am delighted to welcome back one of our first friends, the playwright. Actor, activist, producer, director, teacher, fellow Montrealer, and YVR Screen Scene columnist, Omari Newton. Hello. Okay, you've been here before. You know I have more stuff to say, oh, right? Oh, that was terrible. Okay, let's rewind that. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> We're going to keep going. So Omari has written about social justice issues and how they intersect with the entertainment scene since the very beginning of YVR Screen Scene. His most recent piece, Welcome to the White Awakening, was a how-to guide for newly woke white people spurred to wokeness by the tragic murder of George Floyd at the hands of a police officer in Minneapolis. Omari's also been doing the media, media round solving racism wherever he can. I'm kidding, but only just, because Omari has been doing this work for years. And before we hit record, he said that he was at least a week away from solving racism. And recently, he's also been working with one of the most prestigious arts institutions in the city to dismantle systemic racism in that institution. All this while writing a play and taking his dog Lionel Itchy for walks and also preparing for his new podcast right here on this very network. And yes, this is a network. So today we're going to reflect on the White Awakening. We're going to invite Omari to solve racism yet again. We're going to look at the local film and TV industry after COVID and after the White Awakening. We're going to talk about being 40 as fuck because we are both... 40 as fuck. And we're going to play a spirited round of favorite things. Omari Newton. Hi. See, now I'm afraid to, to say hi because I cut you off last time. <laughs> so I'm just like, now? Can I talk now? You can. You can talk now. Okay, so peek behind the curtain, everybody. This is only the second interview that I'm doing back in the studio uh, since the pandemic hit. And I'm giddy. I'm really, really giddy right now. I'm pretty stoked too. I'm always happy to come and talk to you, but it is, it is, it feels like things have kind of come around because last time I was here, it was at the very beginning of the pandemic yeah. and everybody was freaking out, especially in our industry. So it's cool to check in now and see where we're at. Yeah. Well, I guess that leads to my first question. Hey, Omari. Hey. Where are you at? No, and I, I mean that's I mean yeah. that sincere, sincerely. You know, mm. during the pandemic, when I was recording all my interviews over Skype, I mean, I would start the conversation asking from my heart, mm -hmm. "How are you? How are you doing?" This I, is a very traumatic time. Yeah, I, so right now I'm actually doing great. Okay, good. 
good. <laughs> right now, I'm doing fantastic. But honestly, I just to li- talk to you know anyone listening at home, I definitely went through phases with this entire uh, pandemic, and then with what happened with George Floyd, as, as I discussed in the White Awakening article, mm. there was a period where I was super depressed. There was a couple weeks where I was kind of just under a blanket and, you know, streaming Netflix and being like, all is lost. And and then, you know, I, I have anxiety on a good day. So when there's like a health pandemic, that's one level of anxiety. And then with what was going on in terms of um, social justice, that was another level. So it got dark for a while. And luckily I have my wife and my dog to guide mm. me through. But now I really feel like things both professionally and health wise and just mental health wise are really looking up and I feel great. That's good. And the weather and the weather oh, helps. Gorgeous, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel differently when it's raining? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I get really bummed out. <laughs> if it was raining right now, it would be a totally different day. Um I wanna talk about well, first of all, I loved your piece hmm. of White Wakening. Um okay. And honestly, as somebody who has edited all of your work, it was like a nice kind of build. You know, if you read the whole oeuvre of Omari Newton columns on the site, like it was all kind of building to that welcome to the white, mm. white wakening piece, in my view. Um, what were, what were, have been your experiences, you know, discussing racism and white fragility, you know, with Vancouver Media and with your friends, especially since that piece came out yeah well it's been pretty wild like that piece went kind of viral and you know it was shared on cbc and i was invited to to talk on stephen Quinn, quinn's uh, the early edition and yeah you had to talk in about racism at like seven o'clock in like the morning seven in the morning yeah which is it's hard <laughs> enough talking about racism when it when it's not early but yeah no it's been it's been good because i think i was able in that piece to capture a balance of comedy and empathy but also it was firm enough to to name what the issue was and and suggestions on how to move forward so it's it was it's been a massive conversation starter and i've had so many people reach out and say i read that article and i felt called out and called in Hmm. and and thank you and called out and called in eh? Mm -hmm. how do you think that piece was different than the other pieces that you've written for the site i was very angry Mm. (laughs) for one i was just really like and I have to admit, lately, my level of patience for people who don't respect factual-based information or don't listen is an all-time low. I just mm. have no time for it. Like, whether it's people who are, you know, quoting alt-right conspiracies about COVID or 5G, or people who are still pretending that they think Black Lives Matter is an anti-white statement and that they, you know, they, they want to counter with All Lives Matter. I just, I don't believe that people don't have access to the information at this point. Yeah. So the difference was in this article, I think I was kind of fed up and I just was stating things in a way that was comedic but pretty plain. So that was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I knew you were mad and you've been mad before and written stuff and then we've sat on it to make sure you, you like... That, that you felt confident putting, you know, putting the words out there, because I'm not going to, like, take advantage and be like, okay, Omari's angry, he gave me some awesome words, I'm going to post it, and we're going to get some clicks. Like, that's not how the process right. here works. But, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I really kind of want to lean into that conversation about the white folks mm-hmm. in our, in our in- industry, the ones who were, you know, called called out and called in yeah you know do you do you find that like what kind of work do you see them doing you know and and are you happy with the work that they're that they're doing in themselves 
Yeah, a, lo- a lot of people, absolutely. Like, I, just hearing people talk about this conversation from the, the, the framework of white supremacy or their own implicit bias, like, these things are now part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. And that's surreal to me. As someone who's been talking about racism for a long time, to hear people go, oh, that's just my white fragility. Like, I got to look at that. It's really encouraging. Yeah. You know, that there people so are... So you're feeling hopeful. I, I am feeling hopeful that allies want to be more effective allies. Yeah. On the other side of the spectrum, I have completely given up hope in reaching, quote unquote, the other side. Like anybody, and I said this in my article, anybody wearing a MAGA hat at this point, it's a choice. So, I, and that's the the major change in tactic from when I first started talking about these things publicly. Is I used to think if people understand, they'll just get it and they'll default to empathy. Yeah. And I don't think so. I think for a number of com, and I, you know, look, I don't think that necessarily if you're an uh, an alt right MAGA supporter, it comes from a place of just being inherently evil. But I think people are. are <laughs> you saw my face. <laughs> This is not a, this isn't a, a visual podcast. <laughs> there, the, you look Serena just looked like an emoji. She just went like mm, mm, That is the sound. It's like mm, yeah. But okay. but I think <laughs> I think that people are like some people You're are, be, you're more generous than than I am, I guess. Well, except I'm not giving them a pass. But I think people are are damaged in different ways and they're hurt in different ways. And I understand, you know, like you used to work a, at a, a factory in Detroit that that shut down under uh, the Democrats, and you and you just are so angry at liberals, and you're so mad at them, and you lost your your livelihood. I I intellectually understand why you've been like, nope, I'm rolling with MAGA. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, that doesn't excuse it, but I under I understand. But I just don't think it's not a a situation where I can reach them with information. This is it's an emotional thing that they need to kind of sort out. Yeah. And I'm sure they can say that about us too. No, they can't. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm just can't be... because it's a it's a false equivalency. I agree. You know, there's no both sides. No. There's no very fine people. There's the people like yelling at you across this spicy glass That's, I've set up. Do it, yeah. But like, uh, this is not even for you. It's for people who need to hear it. There mm-hmm. are not two sides. There's the no. people who have empathy, yeah. and there's the people who have hatred. I agree. You know, and and now that's not to say that the people everybody who has empathy, you know, means that they are treating everybody else. Well, you know, there's some behaviors yeah. that they have to relearn or new ways of looking at the world, but well the the willingness to wear a mask indoors and in enclosed spaces to me is like a litmus test about how much of a douchebag and how self-centered someone is. Yeah. And in people who it's like who still don't get you wear the mask to protect others. Yeah. And you just assume that you are potentially contagious. And the people who are going, my rights, my rights, like I, you know, I, I don't I don't need to do and they're just not thinking of the greater good to me is just the perfect example of what's going on with the division in terms of ideologies. Yeah, and you, it's also the big cultural difference, really, between Canada and the States. And yeah. Canada's fucked up. Like, I, sure. I got my own issues. Yeah. So all of that said, I think what I'm really seeing now is that difference between Canada and America, where the American idea of, you know, the individual, you know, will actually put people in a place where they're fighting against their best interests. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. the guns and the education and the health care and the masks. And it's like, oh, gosh. The, the thing that's crazy to me is the ability to make public health issues and things that are for the greater good partisan. Yeah. That's what blows my mind. It's like Black Lives Matter as a movement is just saying that Black Lives Matter as much as everyone else's. 
It's literally what it says. Black lives matter. <laughs> yeah. They, I, you matter. I, I, my life, like, it, Your life matters. And, and the fact that this is so polarizing, people are like, what are you, my, my life? and or, or just going, hey, we have this virus. We should wear a mask to take care of each other. And somehow this has become this issue where the right is going, no, my rights, Trump saving people. It's, it's surreal. It is so surreal. Okay, I want to talk about our industry. Yes. Because... I, I don't know. Let's just get into it today. Let's you want to get, get into it, it today? Oh, because one of the things that we do in a service town, in this service town, mm-hmm. is we make a lot of content yep. uh, for American networks and yes, studios. Do. And a lot of those th- those shows that come up here yep. are for people who wear mega hats. Oh, you yeah. know. And so I guess my question is, how can we talk about dismantling racism mm-hmm. you know in in our industry or in the larger society if we're still servicing content that is racist af um i don't think we can yeah i think there's a large degree of hypocrisy when it comes to and look we've talked about this on this show before i i think and I've talked about this on many panels, but there are networks like Hallmark. See, and that's the difference, so Omari. I'm going to stop you right there. Back, back in the before times, yeah. we never really named Hallmark. Right. You know, we would, and like I, right. like I especially, I would dance around it, sure. and they'll be like, sure. "Oh, the network who must not be named." And mm-hmm. I've had a lot of people on this sh- on this show who work for Hallmark, and I also know a lot of people who whose their their mortgages are paid, you know, oh. from Hallmark. No. And I, and I just, I guess, I'm at a point right now where. I'm looking at the states and I'm like, okay, it's so unsafe to film all all through America right now because yeah. of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we've decided as a as a society that we want to fight systemic racism. Right. So maybe this is a moment where we should act like it should be an honor and a privilege to film here and that like all of these networks and maybe it's like this is just my pie in the sky thinking, mm-hmm. but they should need to show us that their work isn't racist in yeah. order to end that they should show us that you know they're going to be hiring you know like a a yep. breadth of people mm-hmm. you know in order to have the privilege of shooting up here instead of it being like oh my god you have money we're so happy you're here please shoot right there you know so <laughs> you're like that's a pie in the sky Sabrina it's not that it's pie in the sky and i want i also want to recognize my privilege in this area I am fortunate in that I have skill sets that keep me employable. I write, I teach, um, you know, I produce, I direct, and I and I love all those things equally and feel creatively fulfilled doing all those things. So I have empathy for people who just want to act and that is their specialty and they, they, they are just actors. If I were in that situation, it would be really scary to openly call out one of the major employers in this town. Yeah. Now, the counter to that, I would say, is if you are in a position where you have to compromise your integrity and your personal morals to work for a network that you that's not aligned with the way you, with your ethics, you may want to think about diversifying your skill set so you're no longer in that position. Yeah. So I don't want to just come at people because I get it. Like, 
we both know people who have made millions yeah. from Hallmark. But is the onus, though, I guess, like, I'm also like, is the onus on the actors, you know? Well, or is the onus, like, maybe the onus shouldn't even be on the actors. or even, Like, maybe it should go higher than that. It should be the union. It just should be the, you know, the like, the producers. Like, whoever needs to, ne- who, who negotiates mm-hmm. for these companies to come here. You know, I, I almost don't want to put the onus on the, on the actors. Except I don't think we should all get a pass. I, I think, okay. Oh, okay. I take it back. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. think the onus is on all of us because it if a yeah, swell of people all coming together, right? You well, know, I think that would really make a make a difference. We both know at least one prominent agent who said they will no longer submit their clients to Hallmark stuff until they stop being basically a white supremacist homophobic network. Amazing, right? And I, I go, if every agent did that, that would be one level of pressure to change. But the, but there will always be someone, for whatever reason, who prioritizes profit over their ethics. Yeah. And until there's a critical mass that goes, where I'm not going to accept this. And, and look, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I have made money from Hallmark. I yeah. have worked on Hallmark movies. So anybody listening, this is not me being holier than thou. But I just think I'm 40 as fuck right now. As yes, you, said. you are. And yes, we are. Right? The 40 as And at some point, I, I'm looking at like, you know, based on average uh, life expectancy, I'm on the back end of this ride. How do you want to spend the back end of the, of the ride? Do yeah. You, do you want to spend it subservient to people that have shown you that they don't care about you or your your people or do you want to write your own stuff and push for a, a better world not to be corny but you know yeah I hear you um I want to hear more from you. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about how we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh which is through a podcast. Yes. So okay, so you are going to be very soon. Yes. able to to download Omari's voice anytime you want from right here in your podcast feed. I'm very excited. Uh, and I probably, I mean, I'll be there, but more hovering in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will be, it'll be Omari's, yeah. Omari's own show. And, and I, I owe Sabrina an outline. I was apologizing to her when this started. Yeah, he but does. I, That's also... why we don't have a title. Um, we have a, we have a vague concept. Yeah. Um, and I'm so, I'm excited about it because mm-hmm. I really feel that you have a very unique perspective, mm. and um, I don't know. You have a forty as fuck attitude right now that I also have. <laughs> and okay, can, yeah. And so like I'm. Can we okay first say what you want your podcast to be? Yeah. And then I want to talk about forty as fuck because like it's like I'm really feeling. Yep. I'm vibrating with 40-year-old energy right yeah, now, yeah. and it's pretty cool. So, podcast. So, so let me, I'll, I'll, here's my bad pitch for the, the two titles <laughs> that have been going through my head, right? The first one was actionable items, right? That's just the, the concept, right? Where I don't want to do a podcast where people just listen and they can sort of passively enjoy and then check out. And, you know, there's some, there's some great entertaining podcasts like that, fine. I want a podcast where when every episode, I can literally at the end list three things you can do, new information you got from this podcast, or that we got, because I'm going to be learning from it too, right? So three things that I and we learn that we can apply after listening to it. So that's one. And the other part of that concept, and I guess this is similar, is just a podcast that allows me and listeners to be better than they were the day before. You know what I'm saying? And that'll cover issues of social justice. Initially, we talked about it, and we, I was talking about investing, because to me, I think that... Uh, I still love that idea, but that was before the pandemic. Well, this is the thing, right? <laughs> I, I, and I, I've seen, I know so many artists, in particular uh, BIPOC artists, right, mm. who are afraid of 
investing and afraid of personal finance and and look even even I have have uh, hesitations and uh, around money and investing right but I just feel like if more BIPOC artists were focused on in investing and wealth building and ownership of whether it's their IP or their home or stocks or, or whatever it is they would be a lot further along creatively and personally. Yeah. And I'd love to, like, I'm not, obviously I'm not a millionaire, but I, I've, you know, I've done okay for myself and I'd love to share some of the mentors who I had a chance to talk to so that other people can not be in a, in a situation where they're desperate to work for networks that don't align with their ethics. Yeah. I I love that this podcast will really celebrate how curious you are about just about the world and about you know how to live your best life. Maybe we can work yeah. curious in the title. So if you hear this oh, episode yeah. and you have an idea for a title for Omar's podcast, yeah. please send them over and uh, you'll be entered to win a prize. I can do that. I can give prizes. <laughs> I, I like prizes. Maybe there'll be prizes on my podcast. I don't know. <laughs> 40 as fuck. Yeah. So... Um, I, you and I are 40, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I want to talk a bit about your experience of being 40. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking about 40 as something that was like far in the future. And like I'd turn 40 and I'd put on a muumu and I'd like sit on a lanai with my friends and eat cheesecake. And that's kind of rad. But like I also, I think there was a part of me that was like, well, you turn 40 and then you're kind of done. But mm-hmm. I feel like I've come into this like new power Mm -hmm. since I turned 40 and I'm also like hence like the hashtag 40 as fuck I'm Mm -hmm. also grumpy as fuck like I'm just I'm more (laughs) speak to like call stuff out than I I was before but like what is how has 40 changed you or like what kind of power are you deriving from being 40 my goals are totally different and I think I feel like I've gone from a reactive state to more of a purposeful state Ooh, purposeful and curious. Those yeah. are two things that will be in the podcast. Yeah. Because so. <laughs> you know when you're, when you're, especially as an artist in your 20s, you're just like, somebody hire me, anybody. I, I'm trying to make money. I'm trying to, you know. And then if you if you have some momentum and some luck by your 30s, some people know about you and know what you do and you, you're getting some offers and whatever. And then at your 40s, you're like, what is the stuff that I want to see in the world? And if it's not being done, how can I be an agent of change and and initiate that stuff yeah and I think that's what 40 is about is going what's my legacy what am I putting out in the world what am I what do I stand for like you have if if you've played your cards right you're in a position to I feel start. like you're doing Hamilton lyrics right now <laughs> <laughs> what do you stand for if you stand for nothing but what will you fall for we've been watching a lot of Hamilton in my house sure? I, no I totally I totally get it you know what I mean yeah it's like really like growing into yourself and, and like really taking the stand and I'm sure that's another Hamilton song as well, but it's it's true though. Yeah, it's, it's it's and I wish I had this mindset in my early twenties. I'd be a lot further along right now. Would you go back and give yourself advice to make changes though? Because like I, I mean, I ask this of everybody who who slides into that chair, and I always give the option of not saying anything. Right. Because it's, I, like I, on one hand, I wish that I could give some advice to avoid heartache and missteps and then but on the other hand it's like all of those made this yeah, <laughs> I no. like who I am now absolutely and and that's the the hilarious cliche is yeah. that you only have this perspective and vision after living through a couple decades yeah. on trying to figure it out 
but if I could just download that info into my 20 year old self, by the time I was 40, I would have like a 60 year old's wisdom. You yeah. Know? Why do you stay in Vancouver? I stay in Vancouver because I feel like it's the city that I chose and discovered as an adult. Aww. And I feel like I built a life here that I'm really proud of and a career that I'm proud of. And I, I don't know. I, I love it here. I love in Vancouver and, and not even not even from a business standpoint. I live in the West End. I love being near the ocean and being near Stanley Park. And it still feels surreal to me that I can just leave my house and be at the Pacific Ocean in five minutes. It still feels surreal to me mm-hmm. as well. Like I remember going to a river growing up and being like, we're Whoa. at the river and it was beautiful and exciting. Sure. But like, dude, like I, I am nine blocks from a beach. Yeah. Like my daughter and I like dig holes and sit in them and look yeah. at mountains. That's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's- there's there's gratitude for that. I guess I don't know. Like I also feel like this like I might have said this before, but when I look at Canada and you know, by Canada I mean the colonial construct that's like about like five hundred years old. Right. I look at like Montreal as being like the Grand Dame, you know, mm. like almost unchangeable in some ways, you know? Mm. And then I look at Toronto where I spent my teen years as being the like the middle aged, you know, like sit like you know, maybe we're we're gonna keep growing, but you know, like you, you this is we we're like we're like New York, you know, like this is right. If you come here, you're going to be a little fish in a big pond, and that's the way. And I look at Vancouver as being like a teenage city, you know, (laughs) where because like since I moved here in 2002, the city has changed in ways like for for worse and Mm -hmm. also for better, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, I actually feel some power here Mm -hmm. to make a difference and make change that I don't think that I would have felt if I had, I don't know, let's say tried to start a media empire in Toronto (laughs) or Montreal or to have, you know, to become embedded in in the film and TV industry in the way that I have, right? So, you know, there's a part of like, I, there's a lot that I, that just infuriates me about the city, but I also feel that by, that I actually can make a change, you know, that I can stay and, you know, be part of the solution. I I definitely agree with that as well. And I don't know. Do you? I agree with that as well. <laughs> because, Does not sound like you agree with well, me, Omar. Because it was it was a yes, but it wasn't a yes. <laughs> oh, and, here we go. It was, it was a, like I, yes, yes, I definitely think that there is a change to be made in Vancouver, but I also feel like it's a city where, being from the East Coast, I can kind of disappear and find my own path and my own peace personally, aside from the greater goals of changing things here mm. you know what I mean Whereas, I know what you mean like if, if from one if, if I moved to Toronto I would always feel both the the grind of that east coast hustle and also the pull to go back home to Montreal mm. whereas the west coast it was kind of like going to another planet you know yeah. go to Vancouver <laughs> you're just so far away that you're just like you know living my own life out here I love how you present yourself on social media um Especially when you're grumpy, uh, <laughs> especially when you're calling out for cat videos as well. Um, do you think that social media is a force for good or an eternal trash fire from hell? I think it's a force for good overall. Yeah. But the thing is, too, I'm going to use the old uh, NRA argument about guns, right? Mm. Social media is just a tool. You can use, and I've said this before, and I don't know why more people don't get this. Everybody who has social media has their own media empire. 
that you can you can broadcast whatever you want on your network. You can your network can be about cats. It can be about social justice. It can be about gun. Whatever you want. It can right? be about all those things. It can be about all those things simultaneously. <laughs> and so I've always seen social media as like a, a reflection of my personal curiosities. Hmm. You know. And I just think it becomes negative when you get sucked up in this idea of presenting the most superficial version of yourself and whether it's, you know, shirtless pics of your six pack or look how nice my car is. Or I think that's when it becomes really toxic. Or if you're just sped- spreading misinformation. Yeah. You know, it becomes really polarizing and, and absurd. But I think social media, we wouldn't have Black Lives Matter without social media. Yeah. We wouldn't have the Me Too movement without it. We wouldn't, you know, it's given the people. You literally just said two hashtags that have, yeah. that have like made a difference. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, what role do you see social media playing as we dismantle systemic racism? Uh, I either in institutions like the Arts Club where you've mm-hmm. been working or mm-hmm. in our larger film and TV industry? I think it's huge. I think it's gonna be one of the key driving factors. You know, I, for example, with the work I'm doing at the Arts Club, one of the things I, one of the first things I suggested was a social media takeover because I am someone who was always recognized and believed in the power of social media. So I got on the way, the um, Arts Club's uh, Instagram and I did an interview with a black artist who had worked at the Arts Club, my friend Darren Herbert, a wonderful actor, and he just spoke about his experiences so that their subscribers could hear how he felt working there. Yeah. I also shared. Uh, books that people should read. The first one was White Fragility. Uh, the next one was How to Be Anti-Racist. Uh, I also shared Desmond Cole's book, uh, The Skin We're In. Yes. You know, they have 10,000 followers on Instagram who go to the Arts Club and go to their pages for the content that they're putting out. They had never been exposed to, at least on the, on Arts Club social media, anti-racist content like this. Hmm. So it's a very easy way to be like, hello, people who might have been going here to Get updates about the the new the new Beauty and the Beast production. Yeah, read this book. It's very powerful. Yeah, um, do, have you encountered any reluctance or unwillingness to make changes that need to be to be made? Because like I could see it be very attractive to be like, we're gonna hire this black social justice guy to come in and fix everything, you know. But but more for optics or without yep. realizing what the actual work is is going to be? I have definitely in the past and, and to some extent today brushed up against that, but people realize very quickly with me I'm not here to be your figurehead to continue doing things as usual. Yeah. And again, I'm privileged in the sense that I will I will quit and walk away from any place that I feel does not necessarily align with my ethics. I just don't care. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I've experienced it. But, you you know, you, you can dictate the terms of engagement with anybody you, you deal with. So. Yeah. What is the no? Let's have a quick fix. I know. And I know there's no there's no quick fix solution. But like what is like one of the easiest changes that an organization like the Arts Club can make? One of the first things we did, we did an audit of every uh, department in their institution. Because the first thing is diagnosing if there is a problem. Right. And if you look at your organization and you go, okay, in a city where 52% of the population, which by the way, for anyone listening, that in, in Vancouver, white people are the minority. 52% of the population is diverse, right? 
I if, didn't know that. Oh yeah, there was a census done in 2016 that said if you add up, you know, Asian, Black, Indigenous, the the number of people in in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland that are diverse is greater than the number of white people. Wow. That was 2016, so it's probably a bigger number now, right? It's amazing. It is amazing. I right? love that. And I think Toronto might be close as well. So if your city where you live is 52% diverse and your organization is 95% white. Mm. There is a problem. Yeah. I'm pretty sure our city government, uh, the city council is, I think, in, if not 100% white, it is really close to that. I'm sure. As well. And you see this, you see this often in institutions where this is how, when people talk about systemic racism or structural racism, this is what they're talking about, where the, the, populace looks a certain way but the people in positions of power the people who are who are owners of businesses and land tend to be white mm. and then if you think about the trickle down effect of what that does in terms of, of policies in terms of grants in terms of it's it's just hiring decisions hiring decisions yeah. so the first thing i would say is look you know look in that mirror and be like do we have does our organization represent the demographics of our city and if the answer is no do you think this is an issue I hope you do. Yeah. And if you think it's an issue, then you start implementing ways to change it. Yeah. Oh, we're going to uh, make a big change as far as what we're talking about. That's how you do a segue. <laughs> we are going to play, it's not really a game, but we call it a game, Favorite Things. I love it. Um, where basically I ask you questions that were uh, developed by one of the most cutthroat uh, investigative journalists I know. My nine-year-old daughter, Mari. I've heard about her. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm nervous. Mari, I hope you go easy on me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Equal opportunity pain here, Omari. Okay, All fair. right. That's fair. So, um, honestly, just uh, answer from your gut. Okay. And uh, because in Mari's view, how you answer these questions says a lot about who you are. You ready? Okay. I hope okay. I do you proud, Mari. Favorite karaoke song? Oh, boy. Uh, don't Stop Believing. That song comes up all the time here. I, it's just it's an epic song. It's a great, you know. Do you sing it by yourself or do you sing it with the group? I don't sing karaoke, but if I did, I would sing that song because you, you can really go for it. And that's what you want in karaoke. Yeah. And you want to go for it and hold on to that feeling. And hold on to that feeling. Right? <laughs> Favorite video game. Favorite of all time? All time. Okay. Uh, Diablo. The whole Diablo series. And what are you playing right now? Uh, I don't play that many video games. Wow. I, I the last one I played was probably Diablo three and, and by playing I usually am just playing mindlessly while I have a podcast on or something. Yeah. That's okay. That's how we play too. Favorite junk food. Favorite junk food. I like Tic Tacs a lot. That's not a junk food. It's a candy. Okay. okay. It's a mint. Cheesecake. Oh I'm, flavor. But uh I like raspberry cheesecake, but because I'm type one diabetic, I can't eat it anymore. Oh. So you just you're just mocking my, my pain. Well so. what is like a, a a joy food that you eat? Now that you can't have cheesecake. Apple crumble. Oh, okay. That's, I mean, it crumbles. It that's, crumbles. That's something. That's exciting. Yeah. Favorite superhero. Black Panther. It's not even close. Yeah, I know, I know. Favorite supervillain. Favorite supervillain. Supervillain. Okay, let me go with Magneto. That's a good one. Can we just go back to Black Panther for mm -hmm. a minute? Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I want to talk about Killmonger. Let's talk about Killmonger. Um. Because I don't consider Killmonger a villain. No. Um, and and yet I'd also hold him up as one of the greatest villains that they that we've seen in the MCU. What are your thoughts about Killmonger? Killmonger is Killmonger a villain? 
I mean, he is in the classic Marvel sense in the same way that Magneto is. And this is what Marvel does brilliantly yeah, that yeah. I feel like DC hasn't done as good of a job as is they present people with opposing ideologies mm. who their villainy comes in the extremes that they take their tactics to achieve what they want. Yeah. But their their goals are actually kind of admirable, but it's just you can't like kill a bunch of people or make yeah. them subservient to you to accomplish your goals. Yeah. I was really upset when Killmonger died. It was a beautiful one of the most beautiful scenes in the MCU is that monologue he gave about <sighs> he wanted to be in the in the uh what in the in the sea with his ancestors because oh. they knew that death was preferable. Like it was and and for that to come in like an action Marvel movie is like whoa <laughs> Black Panther is so good. And also, um, I do ask Omari a lot of questions about uh, Black, Fan- Black Panther. One, uh, because I know he's a total nerd. Um, two, because he wrote about being a nerd for YVR Screen Scene Podcast, uh, or YVR Screen Scene, the site. And uh, three, because he is also a voice of the Black Panther yeah. uh, for um, the animated series. Okay, favorite kid, sh- uh, favorite show when you were nine years old? Favorite show when I was nine years old was probably uh, either Dungeons and Dragons or Transformers. Wow. Oh, yeah. Because we're literally the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite uh, film when you were nine years old? Film when I was nine years old? Yeah. Maybe, I want to say Stand By Me, but did that come out when I was nine? Maybe not. I think it came out before you were nine. Maybe. Yeah, I, 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 I feel remember. like it was more mid, mid to late. Like, so, like, 1988, 1989, like, what were you into? I remember I, I really, I loved the movie Stand By Me when I was a kid. Yeah. I, maybe because it was kids in it. Where'd or, you see it? Uh, it just, oh, my, my parents had a VCR back in oh, the day. Oh, a VCR? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I remember the first movie, I remember, okay, this is a deep cut for West Island kids, but I remember the very first movie that my dad took me to was Goonies, oh, which wow. doesn't hold up, but oh. it was to the movie theater that was right next to Fairview Point Claire. Yep. I don't know if you remember, there was a, like... Simplex Odeon? Yeah, that- it, it was... I don't even know if it even was like us aligned with any with yeah. any uh, franchise. Uh, yeah, and then we, we went we went to a Lafleur's after. So oh. the first movie I remember seeing in theaters yeah. was Fantasio with my my parents looking to see Fantasio. It's such a traumatic film. It was pretty wild, but I just remember being blown like I was in awe of you know. And then and then my parents also took me to see the Wizard of Oz, the new Wizard of Oz, like Return to Oz, which was equally traumatic. Oh, that is so fucked up. Okay, I can hear my child yelling, "Move to the next quest." All right. Favorite hot beverage? Uh, coffee. How, how do you take it? Black. Yeah, same. Black is my soul. Uh, favorite cold beverage? Uh, cold beverage. I, oh, this is tough. Not cold brew? No, I really like Diet Pepsi. Okay. I'm lame. I'm lame. You grew up in the 80s. I mean, there's very strong associations for Diet Pepsi. Yeah. I, I really get like diet it. Pepsi. Right. You got the red one, baby. Yeah, Ray Charles had that whole thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite vacation destination? Oh, Cuba was amazing. I haven't been. It's, did you do resorts or did you like just so hang out? I stayed in Veradero. It was for a friend's wedding, but I made a point. Like we went to Havana and oh. saw it. It was, it's just such a beautiful country and the people were amazing. And, and the food. The so. food. And, they, and a weird thing on the resort, they all thought I was like a pro athlete because it's mostly like white Europeans there. Yeah. And because I was like a black guy, they were like, are you a multi-billionaire? So that was kind of surreal. Did you say yes? No. 
I, I, had, I commiserated. <laughs> we had interesting conversations. Like they, most of the staff were black or Afro-Cuban, right? Yeah. And one guy was like, yeah, I'm a doctor, but I make, I have a better living working at this resort because it's a communist country. Like right. we get, I get like toothpaste and shoes and stuff from guests. So this is better for me here. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he could have been lying, but. <laughs> he wanted a bigger tip. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe he just wanted my Nike. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. This is the last question. Um, and for my daughter, it's the big one. You ready? Okay. Favorite animal? Oh. You get it, right? Jean, like person, like individual animal or type of animal? Type of animal. Okay. I Look. I have to say dog because okay. I love Lionel Itchy so much. And I love, I've never met Lionel Itchy. One, best name ever. Sorry, That's, Wade Wilson and Vanessa. Uh, two, so cute. He's, he's such a sweet dog. And yeah. I was a, I thought I was a cat guy for years, as you know, from my social media. And then I got my dog and fell in love with him. So now I'm a total dog guy. Yeah. So. I actually, I went the other way. I grew up with dogs, big dogs, a few little dogs. And then, uh, then I was given a cat my last year of university named Stan Lee. Amazing. Stan Lee moved, he was from Belleville, Ontario. Huh? We moved together across the country and he turned me into a cat person. So wow. now Stan I have Lee. Wade Wilson and Vanessa. Your, your nerd roots go deep. They go so deep. They go super deep. Yeah, which is, I mean, I still can't believe that we didn't know each other <laughs> back in the West Island. Because um, we did. We lived so close to each other. We would have gone to yeah. the same high school. Did you go to John Rennie? No, or? I went to Allencroft. I moved Allen when I was Croft, in, right. at the end of grade four. So, um, see, this is deep cut West Island nerd stuff. But I was first, I went to Greendale around yeah. that. So I was in like Pierrefonds area. Yeah. And then we moved to Beaconsfield. I went to Beaconsfield High. Wow. And I would have gone to Beaconsfield. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Allencroft is right, yeah. is right there. It's right there. Yeah. I mean, we lived where we lived uh, in Kirkland was right on the border with Beaconsfield. Mm -hmm. People are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> We're talking about how most of the people in Vancouver, especially in this industry, are from away. Yeah, And exactly. we have built this awesome community here and we're going to continue to grow and Omari thank you for coming back thank you, thank you for uh, lending your talents but not lending because we're going to make some money gonna, uh, yeah, <laughs> in the podcast amazing. game yep. <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to you know what this is it's this is a family it's a community I'm so grateful to be able to share space with you through this plexiglass plexiglass well, <laughs> divider that we have in the age of COVID-19. And I, and I want to thank you for your continued encouragement and for, you know, giving me, uh, sharing your platform so I can amplify things that I, that are important to me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for, uh, okay, we're going to be, like, we'll just be here all day thanking each yeah. other. So I'm going to end it now. Omari, where can our fans find you and follow you on the social media? Uh, on Instagram, it's just at Omari Akil Newton, O-M-A-R-I, A-K-I-L, N-E-W-T-O-N. Same thing on Twitter and just Omari Newton on Facebook. Are you on TikTok? I'm not on TikTok. My daughter's on TikTok. Isn't that going to be banned soon? I think so, but it's really funny. Mm. I really enjoy it. Um, I've... I think like in if there's a battle between Quibi and TikTok, mm -hmm. TikTok rules. Hmm. The children know how to use the TikTok very well. Okay, <laughs> I I am not. I, again, this is one thing as being forty as fuck. I am not on TikTok. Yeah, 
Yeah, but even if you don't go onto the TikTok, you should watch. I should watch the, t- the TikTok. Oh, I watched it. My wife loves. She's always sending me hilarious stuff from TikTok. Yeah. I'm just not on the. TikTok. I think Sarah Cooper was is originally on TikTok. She's the one who is the, so the only way that I can actually listen to Trump speak yes. is if Sarah Cooper so is parroting him. Yeah. Um. Okay. We could do this all day. We probably will just do this all day, but I'm not going to force you guys to listen to it. Thank you so much for being here, uh, for being here in your podcast feed. You can find more than 100 other episodes of the YBR Screen Scene podcast on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to find podcasts for free. You can follow us on all the socials, TikTok, Facebook, not TikTok, I'm not on TikTok, <laughs> Twitter. Maybe we should get on TikTok. We Maybe do a TikTok version of the podcast, but on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Firminger. Uh, so I thank myself. And it's produced and, and edited by Simon Firminger. We give special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad and for giving us all of those really challenging questions for my favorite things. Uh, and also to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger for technical support. And, and to Dane Devillet for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project. Did you know that the Union of BC Performers, ACTRA, provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions, including commercials, TV series and movies, feature films, from big budget to Canadian indies and student films, animation series, video games, web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? For instance, our highly successful UBCP ACTRA Ultra Low Budget Agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low budget or even no budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered and you too can benefit from UBCP ACTRA's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP ACTRA. Make your project the very best that it can be. This message was read by a UBCP ACTRA member. Go to ubcp.com for more information.